Hello again and welcome to Wrestling Memories on Pioneer 90.1 FM KSRQ online at RadioNorthland.org where you can stream this episode live or if you missed it the first time around you can go to the website here RadioNorthland.org did I mention that and check it out the Wrestling Memories page over six years of Wrestling Memories episodes from legends to some of the young up and comers we got it and that's at RadioNorthland.org and tune in for your smartphone. Uh, it's a great honor here uh, this week. Glenn Broggett flying solo, but I have brought with me a fine, fine guest. He's a young man just starting his pro wrestling journey, but what makes this kid unique is that the name, you you may recognize the name, his father. I've watched his father come up through the Calgary Stampede wrestling ranks in the late 1980s to become a star in the NWA, to become the loose cannon in WCW, ECW, and WWF. This uh, young man carries his father's name of Brian Pillman. Brian Pillman Jr. is here to talk about his life and uh, talk about his dad. But most, most importantly, he's going to talk about, you know, rising above and starting his career in pro wrestling and following in the shoes of his dad, who he really didn't get to know very much in life. So this is a very moving story, and we're going to let the man tell his story. Brian Pillman Jr., my thank you so much uh, for being able to take uh, some time out of your schedule, your developing, blossoming pro wrestling career schedule to be a guest on Wrestling Memories. Thank you so much, man. Hey, no doubt. I uh, I love to uh, kind of talk to everybody and let everybody know what I'm up to and and kind of uh, update people on my story, my journey. I think I've got a very unique story here, and and uh, the fact that everybody wants to wants to know about it is is really refreshing. Yeah, you you've been you've done some of the rounds here. You you've done some various interviews, print interviews, uh, podcasts, and the like. What has that been like? I mean, you're 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 basically. You're Brian Pillman Jr. That's a big name and big shoes to fill. But what is it like and what has the reaction been like to, to hear from, from people who have been so interested uh, since you started, you know, these stories started surfacing about you finding your way through pro wrestling? Well, the reception's been great. You know, just people in the wrestling community are, are so, you know, so heartwarmed to kind of see what I'm doing and to see my story pan out. Uh, I know a lot of these interviews, you know, a lot of times they ask kind of similar questions, but, uh, I'm always happy and joyous to uh, answer them as, as best as I can. You know, sometimes I, sometimes I, uh, you know, get better at answering them as time goes on because I know that there's details and stuff that, uh, that I can kind of add to it each time and kind of improve on my uh, interview skills and things. So it's really just an honor to be, to be given this name. I mean, for so many years, 20 years, I lived my life without understanding this gift that I had. And then once I, you know, once I peeked my eye into the world of professional wrestling, it just, it kind of just blew up on me. And it's, it's been a little bit overwhelming, you know, with all the different people uh, reaching out to book me to wrestle and different things. So I'm just kind of uh, taking it as it comes and trying to, uh, trying to keep it all under control, if you know what I mean. <laughs> hey, you sound, I mean, you sound like you, you're just a, you're a student. You're constantly feeding your mind with pro wrestling, not unlike what your father went through uh, when he uh, got into the pro wrestling ranks. Uh, just reading his uh, story that uh, Liam O'Rourke uh, had put uh, out here in, in book form last year called Crazy Like a Fox. 
uh, the definitive definitive chronicle of Brian Pillman. I mean, he was he was watching tapes. I mean, he him and uh, Kim Wood were getting involved with, and getting his eyes open to pro wrestling. Not only the in ring stuff, but he started to get involved with like following stuff that Dave Meltzer was writing. He became this head to toe full student of the game after he moved on from a career in pro football that was seemed promising, but injuries and things just didn't pan out. But boy, he moved on to pro wrestling like he did, like he was, uh, you know, before he was in the pro, you know, pro football and football in general. So just what a dedicated mind. And I think that uh, the apple don't fall too far from the tree here. Oh, yeah. And, you know, my father was just such a student of the industry. You know, he pursued it with the same kind of uh, academic pursuit that he did with college and everything. And I think that gave him an edge on the, on the psychology and the mental standpoint of this uh, of this business. And a lot of people don't realize that, you know, they just want to go out there in, in the ring and do moves on, you know, and try to uh, try to get over and beat their opponent that way. But he was more of a strategist, you know what I mean? He was, he was always looking for, uh, you know, a different way to, to win, a different way to, to get off the ropes and to uh, defeat his opponent. And I think that's what sets a good wrestler apart from, from someone who's just kind of a brute and kind of a, you know, thinks they can go out there and, and, and just do a bunch of stuff, you know? So uh, I think the business is uh, a lot different today than it was then. I think the, uh, the different, there's different forms of studying, whether it's, um, you know, just going on YouTube and finding whatever you want, you know, back then they kind of used to have to fish for tapes, you know, they had to mail them back and forth and they had to, you know, keep things protected. They had to protect the business too at the same time where, or now, you know, you might watch something, see something you like and, talk about it with somebody and it isn't so much of a of a kayfabe uh, industry so it's just it's a very very different beast today but i'm approaching it with that same kind of uh pen and pencil kind of kind of approach my dad took and just kind of putting my notes down on what people are doing and trying not to do what other too much of what other people are doing but taking away the good stuff that i can uh that i can add to my repertoire and my my arsenal Mm-hmm. And the advent of social media, too, has been just such a presence in, in so many aspiring careers uh, with a lot of the guys on the indie circuit, too, so where they can absorb that and be able to not only get the you know their page out or their highlights out, but it's become such a, a form of networking that's almost replaced the telephone in certain respects. Oh, yeah. It's, it's just it's ultimately so much. Uh, I hate to say easier, but it's, it is a lot easier to kind of network and to kind of get places. You know, I can just turn on my GPS if I want to drive to some venue that's out in the middle of nowhere and get there safely. And, and back then, guys used to kind of carpool more and, and, and stuff. So um, and just just getting booked in general, reaching out to people, you know, you might, you know, somebody so huge, you know, huge name in the business might follow you back on Twitter. And it's like, oh, wow, I can I can reach out to them for advice if need be. So I think people are generally more helpful, too, in this business. It's not so much of a, you know, screw you. I'm, you know, like a backstabbing kind of a kind of kind of a business now. I think everybody's a little bit more uh, open to the to the idea of uh, mutual gain and, and mutual benefits. So. Uh, yeah, just a totally different beast, but I think uh, we learn a lot from the history. You know, history repeats itself, and uh, we always need to look back at, at what happened in those matches back in the day, and and how guys got over with the with the fans, and and how you know how people got heat and stuff. So it it, it all comes down to the foundation of pro wrestling. Uh, but if you notice that WWE is uh, starting to change as well, so you know a lot of people that think the old way they might get left behind if they don't adapt to the new way. 
most most definitely you nailed it on the head and uh, i want to talk a, a little bit i mean social media is also and, and the youtube and the wwe network has been such a great way uh to keep you know your father's career very much alive and evident through some of these these old tapes whether it be uh you know a pay-per-view or something or, or some old monday night raws i mean that has to be a nice tool for you too because you were very young when Brian passed away, your father, Brian Sr., in October of 1997. So you kind of get to see some of this stuff, but you were you were, you were were very, very young uh, when you lost him. Oh, yeah. I was you know, just four years old. So when people ask me what I remember about him, you know, whether it's on interviews or in person, I kind of always had the same answer. I don't really remember much. You know, I remember his voice. I remember, you know, I remember him coming home a few times. He had some bolts in his leg from his ankle injury, you know, and this is one of those businesses where injuries are a part of the game and you just got to be tough. You got to push forward and, and hope that you can uh, perform at the level that, that you can with, with those injuries. So um, it's something I got, you know, I kind of got a dose of that, that realization uh, as a young child, because I think it was the, my father's ankle injury that ultimately led to his death. So it's something I got to look out for the pitfalls in this business. I think, you know, like I said, I think it's changed a lot too, where, you know, we're not pressuring people to, to work injured as much as they used to, you know, they used to kind of, oh, you know, suck it up, be tough. And, and they'd kind of go five days uh, of the week working injured where now it's like, you know, rest, get your stuff, you know, get, get healthy and things. So people are a little bit more accepted uh, of just kind of the different pitfalls and they're more wary of, of what can go wrong in this business. Mm-hmm. And you know, and, and it's just such a sad parallel because with with uh, your dad passing away when you were so young, it was uh, not unlike a situation that he had in his life with his father passing away too, and that that really does uh, lead open up for some lot of potential uh, mountains and obstacles to get through in life. And, and your your story is definitely no exception to the rule. Uh, growing up without a father, you know, you, you know, your main father figure with, with Brian passing away, uh, life wasn't exactly just a, a, you know, the end bowl of cherries type of thing for you. You, you learned to, to, to be a survivalist at a very young age. Yeah. That's one of those things, uh, you know, where, you know, without having a father, it's very hard for a young man to develop. I think every, you know, just doing my research as I've been growing up, I think every child, you know, every young man needs to have a father in their life in order to develop properly. A lot of these, uh, a lot of these single parent, uh, homes, you know, single mother homes are, are just not cutting it for, for raising young men as much as I, as much as I'd like to believe that, that a woman could raise a young boy, they, they, they can, they can, they can raise them to be a boy, but they'll never ever be able to teach them how to be a man. And, and that's something I struggled with growing up, whether it was trying to find mentors that were high school coaches or perhaps, you know, my friend's parents, it was always, you know, looking for something, looking for that, that avenue that I could learn and mature and, and finally become a man. And, and, it, and it all kind of goes back to that connectivity and that social media too. You know, there's ways to connect with people. There's ways to find mentors and videos online about, you know, just developing yourself professionally and mentally and stuff. And, but yeah, growing up was rough. Uh, you know, my mother wasn't always very supportive either. Um, so it was kind of one of those fend for yourself type type situations where, you know, it wasn't, wasn't even 13 years old when I had already moved out of the house ready to, uh, look for something better for myself. So. 
you know, you could have fell into that trap and kept going on and on and on into this uh, the age you're at now and still be in that that those sort of pits of life. But what was some of those things that started to, to make you pull out of it to make you realize, you know, hey man, I, I'm I'm going to give this uh this a little bit more of a go and try to get a, a better deal and get a better grasp on my situation. Was it something where athletics came into play? What was what was the the moments that really uh, got you to, to to really start to take notice and rise above your situation? Yeah, so it's definitely connecting with those mentors, which I found through football. You know, with, with, with football team, you got you know you got three three to five different coaches. You know, you got your defensive coordinator, your offensive coordinator, your special teams head coach, assistant coach. So it, you know, it wasn't hard for me to find uh, men, you know, grown men to kind of connect with and to learn from. And, and I think that camaraderie too with the football team really helped uh, develop me as, as as not only someone that can be counted on as a friend, but also somebody that's, you know, not out there doing drugs and partying all the time, you know, getting good grades. You know, you got to make your good grades to be on the football team. You got to show up to school. So it's, it's like, if I wanted to succeed in football, I had to succeed in life as well. I had to succeed at school. So there was motivating factors there. Um, I think every, every young man that's, that's looking for, that's looking for that support system should definitely get involved in sports for sure. Well, we're talking with Brian Pillman Jr. And, and Brian, while you were growing up and you were discovering sports and discovering that, man, you, you really could get into this. Did did you pay much attention to pro wrestling after after a while when you grew up? Was it something that was just that you put aside? Or did you have any sort of interest in it while you were you were figuring yourself out here uh, while you were growing up into your teens? Yeah, so, you know, it's kind of sour grapes to me. You know, not a lot of my friends were into it, so it was, it was hard for me to, uh, to, to kind of, to kind of look at it without getting uh, upset or without feeling resentful towards pro wrestling. And, and for so many, you know, for so many years, it was like my mother was, was telling me that, you know, blaming wrestling and blaming, blaming the business that it, that it kind of defeated my father. And, and it was more or less bad for, for us and bad for people. But, but then, you know, I started to meet real wrestlers who actually had some success and, and made it out of the business alive, like Lance Storm and, and Chad Gaspar, guys that were very positive influences in the business. And I thought, you know, what am I so afraid of? You know, I, you know, I'm still young. I can still give this a shot. You know, sure, it's one of those extreme kind of sports where you can get injured, but but that's the, that you know that comes with the with the with the fun of it and the adrenaline of it. So, um, and, and I just realized I'm you I know mean, I'm built really well for it. I'm pretty tough. Uh, did a lot of yoga, you know, a lot of bodybuilding. Uh, before even thinking about getting involved into wrestling. So I think it was just the, the timing was right. The timing was just perfect for me to, to dive right in and give Lance Storm that call and, and begin my training. Yeah, let's talk about how that came into play because that was one of the things that really drew attention to a lot of uh, wrestling fans, uh, me included into the mix, was uh, you putting out a message, you know, seeking knowledge, looking for somebody, looking for mentors, and you were able to... In a situation not unlike with your father, when he ended up finding you know Bruce Hart in in the Hart family, you were able to connect with Lance Storm. So kind of walk us through that that connection with Lance and how you ended up out there. Because I mean, a move to Calgary isn't exactly a small chump change potato type thing. I mean, you, that's a big move not only in your life but also financially when you think about it. Moves like this are are, are cheap. Yeah, and, and and moving to Calgary was just a very wise. Uh you know, business decision on my part, just as far as getting the best training, it's very, very, very hard to find uh, optimal training, especially, like I said, when, when the world of today is, 
is so construed with, with different philosophies on wrestling and, and how someone should be working or training. So I did all my research, you know, I asked around, you know, guys like, uh, you know, guys like Steve Austin even mentioned that, that Lance was just, just absolutely the best trainer to go to. And, uh, that's when I just, you know, ultimately decided like, Hey, this is, this is my best bet. I've only heard good things about this man. Uh, let me give this a shot. So that's, you know, I went up there and I, I was fully, fully prepared to get the best training the, you know, that anybody could get. And I think I received that. Yeah. If you're going to get somebody to, 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 to shape your mind and, and a guy that has such a solid in-ring career, I mean, Lance Storm, I mean, the discipline alone and, and the conditioning and not only adds to the, to the in-ring talent, but I mean, this is a guy that if you want to go sit under the learning tree, this was probably one of the best sources you could have found at the time. Oh yeah. And, uh, you know, he's just a very, very down to earth person, very, very, very disciplined man. Um, unlike anyone I've ever met before. So it was very unique interacting with him and, and trying to, uh, trying to impress him and, and trying to do everything I could to, uh, get him to believe in me, at, you know, as a wrestler, cause he, you know, he treated me no different than everybody else. You know what I mean? A lot of people, you know, kind of go out of their way for me in this business when they hear the name Brian Pillman, but, but Lance, when he saw that, he saw an opportunity to be harder on me and to uh, test me and, and push me to my limits, so to speak. So he wasn't trying to take it easy on me, and that's something I really thank Lance for to this day. Now, did you work with, with a camp of, of guys, or was it just more of an exclusive type of thing when, when you uh, went up there? And how long was the run as far as you getting uh, trained at the Storm Wrestling Academy? Yeah, so it was a, a three-month program. Uh, I would have liked it to have been a smaller class, but there was roughly uh, you know 16 to 20 kids in there. I think four of them dropped out. Uh, just out of disinterest, you know, it wasn't like, you know, it wasn't like we were beating the shit out of them or anything. They were just, it wasn't for them. So they left and, uh, you know, I, you know, I would have liked some more one-on-one time. I would have liked to have had some, some more matches with Lance, but you know, he's running a business up there. He's got to train, you know, everybody else equally. So I understand all that, but, but it was nice to experience different cultures. You know, we had guys from Australia, guys from London, uh, guys from Ireland. There was a young man from Ireland that was extremely, you know, extremely talented. So I think it was a great experience to learn from all those different people and see their perspectives on wrestling. And we all kind of come in and clash together with, with somebody that actually knows, you know, 27 years in the business of, of how it's supposed to be done and how to make it as all these different feds and promotions and, and really just how to make a living and how to live a positive lifestyle without the drugs and without the alcohol and the steroids and all that. And that's something Lance was able to do and succeed without all that stuff. You know, I'm going to bring up another Calgary fixture because I brought it up just earlier at the beginning of the interview. I'm talking about the the Hart family and as well as uh, some of the, uh, the, you know, the, the brother-in-laws like the Davy Boy Smiths. You, uh, I, I, were you ever in contact here with, with, with any of the Hearts or, uh, you know, the second generation people, you know, like the David Hart or, or David Boy Smith Jr. as he's known in Japan? Were you in contact with any of the Hearts, uh, any, you know, whether it would be while you're in Calgary or uh, during that, that time beforehand? Yeah, so it was really cool. I got to uh, I got to meet with Bret Hart and his whole family. Um, there's all kinds of hearts in Calgary. I mean, there's probably you know 500 of them, but uh, you know, when no they see a few of them at Walmart or something, you know, they kind of connect with them. Uh, you know, there's a young man named Matt Hart that was you know just breaking into the business and stuff too. When, when you got that kind of name, uh, name like Hart or name like Coleman, it's it's hard not to uh, it's hard not to connect and and have a few beers or something, but. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, I went over to Bruce's and got to see where my dad lived. And my dad lived there for the for the better part of his training with them. And 
uh, you know, I never got to meet Brett or anything, but I did hang out with uh, Harry Smith, Davey Boyle, on a couple of occasions, actually. He he worked an independent show, and we hung out in the backstage area, and then uh, we actually hung out at, at one of his old uh, producers' houses, one of the old Calgary uh, uh, camera people that, you know, they had connected with, and we watched the... Uh, we watched one of the pay-per-views together. So that was really cool to experience that. And that was just, you know, maybe just a few minutes after uh, Harry had saved someone's life off of a bridge. So it's kind of an interesting, uh, interesting thing to be a part of seeing him all shook up and nervous after he'd done that. And then just trying to get him to wind down and hang out and watch some wrestling after all that was, was interesting to say the least. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. I remember reading about that, man, talk about a heavy moment and just, being able to react and to be able to do such a thing like that. I mean, he didn't just freeze. He went and did what he had to do. Oh yeah. You know, and, and superhero in every sense of the word, you know, he's wearing a goddamn kimono for Christ's sake. So the, uh, <laughs> she, that woman was very, uh, very blessed to have him there. And, you know, he was in the, you know, he was in the right place to help her out at the right time. And, you know, maybe she was in a wrong place in her life, um, at the wrong time, but he, you know, he helped her out with that. And, kind of gave her some life advice, you know, it's never worth killing yourself over. You know what I'm saying? There's always going to be pitfalls. There's always going to be pitfalls and ups and downs in life. And we try to take it and stride with it and hope we don't, uh, hope we don't go too far down the wrong path. Right. And brother, you could speak from just your living proof of someone that, you know, could have, could have just cashed it in, could have just said the hell with it. I mean, you had a rough life. You had everything, everything kind of stacked against you. You decided not to. Excuses are infinite. Yeah. Excuses are infinity. You know what I mean? We're, we're all dealt different hands. Some people are just born, born wealthy and don't have to do anything for the rest of their lives. You know, some people are not, some people are completely happy living a, you know, an average life. Some people are completely happy being drugged up every day of their lives and never having a free thought to themselves, you know? So, um, we can make up as many excuses as we want of why we did this or why we didn't do this, but, and, uh, you know, at the end of the day, everything is on us. It's our responsibility for, for everything that happens to us. You know what I mean? We, we're almost, you know, we're almost 90% responsible for our, you know, our body. You know, we can't, you know, we can't change our height or anything, but for the mother, the color of our skin, you know, there's some, there's some disadvantages with, with that. But like, you know, as far as your health and your body, you're in shape, uh, your cardio, we can always, always change those. Um, and then, you know, you're always a hundred percent, absolutely a hundred percent responsible for your mindset and your attitude. So that's something we all have total control over. And that's something I'm looking to, uh, to really master and, and try to, uh, you know, work on when I'm in my, when I'm in my lows and, and when I'm, when I'm, when I'm soaring high, you know, try not to get my head too big. And when I'm, when I'm soaring really low, try not to get too hard on myself and too down on myself. We're talking with Brian Pillman Jr. on this edition of Wrestling Memories. And another name I'd like to bring up before we get into uh, your actual in-ring working, uh, I want to talk about uh, how much feedback you have you received as far as encouragement, advice, and wisdom uh, from, from Steve Austin. Because Steve and Brian, your, your, your dad, Brian Sr., man, what a terror. When those guys were together in the ring, whether it was the Hollywood Blondes or even in the uh, WWF, those guys did so many memorable things, including one, of course, the, uh, the the infamous home invasion angle that brought up a lot of controversy in its day uh, before the Attitude Era really could, took flight. You want to talk about uh, Ryan Pillman? You can't help but talk about Steve Austin. Oh yeah, you know it's you know just 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 looking at the Hollywood Blondes and the synergy, the chemistry they had. It you know it, you know Steve was always kind of the ring general, and and my dad was always such a great promo guy, so they kind of complemented each other in that way. 
um, whether, you know, whether they're in the ring or outside the ring, they were always gold. They were always money. And, uh, I think, I think my father helped elevate Steve in that way. And I think Steve helped elevate my father in that way. And, and that's why they always kept running into each other or whatever, you know, it doesn't matter what fed they were in. They always, whenever they worked together, whether they were teammates or, or opponents, they always generated great entertainment for the masses. And, and Steve, honestly, he tells me even to this day that my dad was probably his only true, you know, real, you know, best friend in wrestling. You know, a lot, a lot of guys claim to be your friend in this business and then they go right around and backstab you and uh, you got to keep your eyes peeled. But he was like, yeah, your dad was a true friend, you know, didn't have to worry about him uh, doing anything behind his back or anything. So I, I really think that's cool with, with Steve to say that. And, and, you know, it's not always easy getting him on the phone and getting, uh, getting any advice out of him or getting a lot of advice out of him. But when I do, when I do finally connect with him, I mean, man, we can, we can go on the phone for uh, 45 minutes to an hour. Just, you know, that was when I was first breaking into the business. Uh, he gave me, you know, everything he could, you know, right off the bat, just getting me started and stuff. And, you know, he didn't even want to get off the phone with me, but, uh, but, uh, you know, you know, here and there, you know, you text him here and there and, you know, maybe he'll watch some matches of mine and some stuff, but, uh, but yeah, generally just, you know, he's, he's a pretty busy guy. I understand that. And, and when you're Steve Austin, you know, you're one of the greatest draws, probably the greatest draw ever in professional wrestling. Then, you know, you got, you got, you got to bide your time properly. And, you know, a guy like me, I just need to get my experience from being in the ring, uh, learning from the vets that are around me and, and down the road, you know, I'm, I'm sure Steve would be more than happy to, uh, help elevate my career again. And, you know, we have some, we got some cheeky interactions on Twitter and, and that kind of generates, uh, some fire for me and, and some extra, uh, some extra followers and stuff too. So he, you know, he knows when to throw me a bone here and there and kind of help me along. So I got to love Steve for that. I'll always have a, a look up to him a lot as, you know, as a mentor and, and someone that I know is going to have my back in the future. Is there other guys too that that have come up from from your dad's era? I mean, we talked about a couple, but there are other guys that we haven't mentioned that have have chatted with you a little bit here, whether it would be in, at the beginning of your career or, or sometime at some point in your life that, that that offered you a little little piece of comfort or else good good feedback. Oh yeah, and it, you know it kind of dates back to those memorial shows. Those guys that really you know went out there and, and worked for free essentially just to raise money for my family and put their bodies on the line. Uh, for my dad's uh, memorial show, you know, whether it was Matt Hardy, Matt and Jeff, or, you know, even Regal, you know, kind of reached out to me, uh, you know, NXT came here to Northern Kentucky one time and, you know, Regal reached out to me. I got his, his email and stuff. And, he, you know, he's like, Oh, you know, we're keeping an eye on you, you know, take it easy kid. You know, you know, it's, you know, it's a tough business, but you got to, you know, they're always, they're always kind of letting me know, you know, it takes time. Like, don't worry, you know, don't stress out about not being the best right off the bat. You know what I mean? It's like everybody started somewhere. So a lot of these guys, uh, you know, whether it's Jericho kind of, you know, throwing me a, a comforting tweet on, you know, Twitter or something, just, they, they all know, they all know and respect uh, my father's legacy and what he left behind. And I feel like in many ways, a lot of their careers were influenced by him. So they kind of feel like, you know, just giving back to the next generation, specifically my father's next generation. Uh, they feel honored to do that. So it's always a pleasure connecting with them. And, and sometimes you run into Animal at an indie show or something, and he's got some cool stories to share. And, and it's just really cool, like, you know, not to name drop, but, you know, you asked who, who's been connected with me. So um, these, are the, these are the guys in this kind of generation between, you know, between the ages of like, you know, 40 and, and 50, 56, you know, those are the guys that, 
that that age group, that 15 year kind of age group, those are the guys that connect with me and stuff. So, cause they, you know, they either worked with my father or they were heavily influenced by my father. So it's pretty cool to have that, have that kind of network going. All right. You're, you're starting to plant your seeds in, in, in the pro wrestling business. You had some training uh, from Lance Storm. Uh, when was that point uh, where you, you felt like you had, a, had, at least at the point you felt the confidence enough to get yourself into the ring and, and what made you decide that this, this was it? And did you receive any other additional seasoning before uh, you decided to get in the ring aside from what you had been receiving at the Storm Wrestling Academy? Yeah, so before and after I went to Lance's, I, uh, I dabbled in the ring with... Uh, with Rip Rogers, but, uh, you know, Rip, Rip, Rip knew I was going up to Lance's, so he didn't want to, uh, overload me with too much, too much information as far as the basics and fundamentals goes. So, you know, he was like, go on in there, get in the ring and, you know, get, you know, get me bumping, get me feeling, get me ready for it. Just to kind of give me an idea of what I'd be going through up in Canada, what I'd be learning. So, so I kind of, when I got there, I kind of already knew, uh, how to protect myself in the ring and, you know, how to not get hurt and how to do a couple of the basics, but, but for the most part, structuring a match and, and really, really understanding the psychology of this business happened up in Canada. And, and, uh, you know, guys like Cody Hawk got, you know, got some ring time with him, just some different insights from him, 27 year veteran of the business. Um, and yeah, now, now, now I'm kind of learning that more, that more indie kind of Lucha style up in, up in Dayton with David Christ and Sammy Callahan. Those both guys have, you know, 12 years experience each of them you know added that up and and you know what that is so a lot of guys are willing to take me under their wing and just develop because they, they you know you see me and you just see a star you know you see a kid that's got a great body on him a uh, great personality vibrant energy you know i come through the curtain and you know you know the shit's going down so uh, I, i'm just blessed to have all these guys rooting for me and pushing for me and because you know they got to look after themselves too and the fact that they're you know fact that guys like Matt Hardy are still, you know, getting back into the Fed and, and just loving this lifestyle, making it a true lifestyle. It's uh it's really refreshing to see that, to see how the longevity of it can work out if you really play your cards right. So what was that first match? Take us into that first match that, you know, you're feeling what were you, what was going through your head, man. You know, this, again, you had all this great seasoning. What, what was that like, man? Let's go to the ring. Oh man. The first match, man. I, I mean, it was, it was just a blur, you know, you know, five minutes feels like 30 seconds, you know, you're in there and you're out and all of a sudden it's just like, wow, I got it over with, you know, get all the nerves out. And I, I mean, just after the first match, you're already more, you're already more comfortable. You're already more, you know, experienced in the ring. You're like, okay, you know, that wasn't so bad. You know, it's kind of like ripping off a bandaid. It's like, you know, you just want to get it over with, but, but uh, now I'm just hungrier and even more excited to go out and wrestle and stuff and just, I got to be careful and not get a little overzealous because that's when you get hurt is when you start doing too much and start, start getting a little crazy with it. So, um, but yeah, I mean, you know, just, you know, everybody's first match is, is something, uh, something funny to look back on. You know, I, sometimes I watch it and I kind of laugh, Oh, you know, I should have done this here. I should have done this there. But, but at the end of the day, I think, uh, I think my first few matches are, are better than most just because like you said, that, that having that season seasoning on me and, and all those veterans kind of giving me every little bit and it's kind of going, some of it makes it through, some of it goes in one ear and out the other, just because there's so much information, you know what I mean? You, you throw a bunch of uh, mud on the wall and not all of it sticks, right? So yeah, yeah. you gotta, you gotta take what you can and, and try to improve, improve. And sometimes you need repetition. Sometimes you need to beat yourself up about it and uh, really, really drill it in. So, 
Uh, I'm just working at it every day. I don't think, you know, I don't think this is something I can just walk into the WWE tomorrow and, you know, say, sign me to the PC. I think this is going to take uh, a few years, you know, to, to really, you know, progress on the indies and show them that I'm something valuable, uh, worth, worth, uh, worth working to, to sign and worth, worth getting on the roster because uh, I want them to kind of, you know, to kind of seek me out and see, okay, this kid's, you know, pretty damn good. You know, not on top of that, he's got a pretty cool legacy, pretty cool story. You know, I don't have just some gimmick. I don't, you know, I'm not a garbage man or anything or, or a plumber coming out to the ring. I'm a true competitor, a true athlete, a true, true baby face, you know, in the realest sense of the word, you know, everywhere I go, uh, the draw is up and then and the pops are huge for me. So, uh, I, I can't be more thankful for just my, my genetics and my, my family lineage and all that. So, you know, with your name and, and, and in regards to picking up bookings, especially with your story, because it does attract, again, it could attract a really good crowd, good pops. You could develop uh, into really something big here. What has it been like navigating your way through picking up bookings and stuff? Because that also is another aspect of how you get through and get over in the business is who you do business with and, and who are the guys that, that, that work you'll work for that you know you can get a good bottom line with. Yeah. So, you know, just being so new to the business, I wasn't too sure who was legit and who wasn't, you know, so many guys, you know, Joe blow down the street thinks he can just start up a wrestling fed overnight. So, um, for the most part, I don't usually, uh, haven't been usually reaching out to anybody. They've all been reaching out to me and, uh, kind of on a first come first serve basis. So if somebody books me for something, I honor that a hundred percent, um, unless something you know serious comes up or, you know, a bigger opportunity comes up, but, like I said, it's just so many people have reached out to me, uh, to book me. So I've kind of taken that. It's been a little overwhelming, but you know, you work on getting two days of the week, you know, Saturday, Sunday, and then you start at working on adding a third day. And then once you're working three days a week, you start working on adding a fourth day. And I'm just slowly trying to transition, not, not put the cart before the horse. And, and, and after I, after I work for these promotions or at least see who cancels and stuff, I start to vet start to vet them, but, you know, I give everybody a chance, you know, if you come to me first, then, you know, first come first serve, if you're willing to, uh, you know, fly me out or pay, pay me what I'm worth, what I think I'm worth, then, then by all means you get, you get, you get that chance. So, um, I'm blessed to have to, to be able to work for different crowds in different areas. You know, every, every wrestling fan's different on what they like, you know, different flavors of ice cream. So I'm starting to get that experience with the different crowd reactions and stuff. So that, that's why I'm so willing to work, uh, different types of shows. A lot of these guys, they get caught up working one type of uh, crowd or one type of show, you know, or maybe they just only work their weekly show. And, and I, I can't say too much because most people are out there hustling, uh, reaching out for bookings where the bookings kind of come to me. So I can't really give them too much flack, but I think the best way to uh, excel in this business is to try to work for different people, work for different crowds and different promotions instead of getting in that comfort zone of, Oh, I'm just, working my one weekly show for the same crowd, you know what I mean? So if you want to really network and sell and sell yourself and sell your merch, you got to get out there and work in some different places. So is there some ideal places that you would like to go work? I mean, and, and aside, we're not going to talk about the WWF aside that throw, throw the fed out. But right now at this point in your career, is there some spots even in the United States or internationally that you would eventually like to, to work yourself towards uh, as far as goals and, and, and places to uh, get that extra, like I said, it's that key word seasoning. Yeah. Uh, just places I'd love, you know, I'd love to go down to Florida. I think there's a great scene down there. I've, I've yet to be contacted by 
by anybody in that area. So I'm looking forward to maybe reaching out myself and seeing what's going on down there because, you know, Orlando, that kind of area is really nice for wrestling. It's a hotbed. Um, so far I've already worked, uh, out West, you know, a little bit out West in Kansas. I've worked in New York, um, later this year, I'm going to San Francisco and then LA. Um, so, you know, June in San Francisco, LA in July. So I'm getting, I'm getting out there. I'm getting, putting on my, putting on my wings and I'm flying out there, you know, they don't call me flying Brian jr. For nothing. You know what I'm saying? So, (laughs) (laughs) but uh, I'd love to go overseas. I'd love to go over to, to England. I hear, I hear I have a huge following there. I'm uh, just so excited to see, to see what that looks like. Um, you know, someplace like Germany, uh, you know, I've been contacted by people in France. Um, and I think another big, big milestone for wrestlers in the business today is going to Japan. I think Japan is just such a unique culture, such an awesome, awesome respect for this business. And, and you see how people, how much better people get when they go over there and they train with that, with those Japanese wrestlers and that Japanese style. And it's just really awesome to watch. It's something I study uh, very closely a lot of my moves are, are inspired by japanese wrestlers and, and i just really want to get over there and see what i can do you know not unlike what dynamite kid did in the early 80s with tiger mask your father and jushin liger brought that sort of uh fast-paced action international style uh to the to the united states uh with their series of matches so to see that in this field and here you say how, how how really motivated you are to eventually make it over to japan is again another little piece to fulfilling what your legacy is Oh yeah. And just, you know, everybody brings up Jushin and that and, and Jushin actually was just around here not too long ago. Uh, last Friday he was in Chicago and I thought that was really cool. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to make it to that show cause I was booked elsewhere, but, but it's one of those things where wrestling is a worldwide, uh, concept. It's a worldwide sport. Everybody's got their different styles and stuff. So the fact that we can, we can network and in fact that things are even easier with social media and stuff is a really beautiful thing. You know, a lot of people, a lot of people dream about traveling the world with their job and, and doing stuff like that. And that's something I always dreamed of when I was sitting at a desk and you know, I was like, Oh man, I wish I could be traveling the world right now. So it's really cool to kind of at such a young age already be on the road to fulfill my dream and just starting with the U S and traveling around. Um, I just gotta, you know, take care of myself and be safe and you know, try not to be taken advantage of or get injured. And I think I got a bright future ahead of me. You know, you talk about England. I, again, the author of the book about your dad is Liam O'Rourke. So, I mean, this guy's a big, big, you know, fan of wrestling and a writer over in the UK. So, if anything has helped fan the flames uh, of the name Pillman, oh, I think yeah. that he definitely would have to be uh, in account. And I, I noticed in, reading in, in, in the book that you you had a, there was a, a couple pages dedicated to talking a little bit about your life and stuff. So, yeah, so he, Liam did approach you for this book and, and got a, a, a few nuggets of information from you because I interviewed him and he, he seemed to be such a, a, a well-thought-out man who really, really did, did a good job with this, this book, uh, Crazy Like a Fox. Oh, yeah. I mean, young kid, too. I think he's only like 19 or 20. He came to me for the book, you know, over Skype. You know, we had a little long, pretty long chat, and, and I was just like, you know, at first I thought, oh, it's just some, some mark over in Europe wants to write a book. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, you know, like, just totally kind of, kind of blew it off at first, just thinking, all right, I'll just entertain this idea. But then when I got to talk to him and I got to understand what he was all about and how much passion he really had for this and how much he already knew, you know what I mean? A lot of people, they claim to be writers and they claim to know a lot of stuff about the business, but this kid is like, you know, he's like the Meltzer of Europe, you know what I mean? So he really <laughs> no knows doubt. his stuff, um, really did his research on my father. He interviewed so many people, you know, 
he interviewed Dave, he interviewed Kim Wood, uh, you know, he interviewed a lot of wrestlers in the business, uh, just about my dad and stuff. So this kid really did his research. The book was on point with facts and stuff. You know, there might've been a few, uh, you know, he got my grandmother's name wrong, like her maiden name, but you know, stuff like that, you know, we let that slide. Uh, (laughs) but as far as my father's career, he really hit the nail on the head. And I think that's what separated his book from so many other books was that it wasn't written by a worker. It wasn't written by someone in the business. So there was really zero room for it to be um, exaggerated. And and there was no stories in there that could have been perceived as, you know, fake or or made up to kind of boost the ego of of the wrestler. You know what I mean? Like my dad's not here. You know, he can't, there's nothing for him to gain from writing a book or or, or to bolster his own stories and stuff. So it it was accounts of everybody else and experiences that they had with my dad who really had no motivation to exaggerate his life. And it's, you know, even if you, you know, even if you did exaggerate my father's life, it's like he already lived such a, such a larger, you know, larger than life lifestyle. So it was like, he was already doing wild things and and just had so many interesting stories and just the way he uh, conquered it all. So it was like, you know, exaggerate all you want. This is going to be a great book either way you put it, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He did such a, such a great job. And, you know, and there's things that I learned, you know, I was learning things about your father's life and I really did not know through the college football connections of, of his connection with the coach, John Harbaugh. Yeah, they were, uh, yeah. Roommates and stuff. And that that's kind of, uh, another relationship I've had in my life was with, was with John just, you know, he, you know, whether he's just inviting us out to the, to the, to his games when he's in Cincinnati or, or even letting my sister come up to Maryland and, and see him. So, um, it's been really cool to be connected with somebody like that. That's in, in, in the professional sports world. That's so respected as a coach. And, you know, I got to be there when they erected his, uh, statue at Miami of Ohio and stuff. So it's, it's just really cool to be a part of, of this upper echelon of, of athletics and sports and entertainment. So, uh, I, you know, I'm just blessed to have all these people in my life really. Yeah. And it just seems so genuine too. these, these people coming, you know, and, and befriending and keeping bonds with you, you know, and, and not just, you know, leaving you after a certain period of time with mourning and things that, that go past the, in life and people just move on that there's been these people that have been, have been there for you at the, at some times when you really have needed them. Oh yeah. It's been, it's been crazy just cause for so long, you know, growing up, I didn't have that. And and whether people didn't know or, you know, they didn't understand that what I was going through, they, they couldn't, they, you know, social media might not have been around. They couldn't reach out as easily. So I was just kind of left in the dust as a youngster. And now that it's all coming full circle, I think, you know, I think everything happens for a reason. I, I most certainly agree. As we're winding down today, I got to ask you, though, before we get... We go into a couple more questions here. Uh, Rip Rogers, you said you trained a little bit with him. Now, this is one of the more off-the-wall characters in pro wrestling, but a very good trainer. But, I mean, did, 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 what, do you have any sort of Rip moments uh, dealing with, with training with Rip? I know he's a, he's a serious trainer, but he's also, he's Rip Rogers when you think about it. The guy's uh, definitely uh, uh, one of the more interesting uh, characters in professional wrestling, and that's a good thing because we need more Rips. Oh yeah, we we do need more rips. Uh, people that don't, you know, they don't take themselves too seriously. They have fun, and and you know, they're not they're not afraid to really get on your ass for something. You know, so many people in this politically correct culture that we live in, they're they're just afraid to to really get on you or to really you know give you hell for something, and and that's something that we lack. You know, that's something that just you know, like I was talking about earlier with with raising a young kid. You know what I mean? You can't be you can't just be so easy on a young boy. You got to be hard on him. You got to teach him the hard way sometimes, and 
I think that's the funny thing about Rip is, you know, he's not afraid to do or say anything. You know, he used to call me Pillhead, you know, he's like, hey, Pillhead, you know, what are you doing? You know, so, and, you know, he used to show me some videos of him putting some heat on my dad and beating him up in the ring. And he's like, that's what I'm going to do to you if I, you know, if my leg wasn't hurt and stuff. So he's just really overall funny guy, you know, not afraid to, uh, to, to, to rip on any, you know, to quote unquote rip on anybody. So <laughs> <laughs> he's, uh, definitely a, uh, a character and he's a gem in this business sort sort of the opposite of Lance Storm for sure. You know, Lance is kind of more diplomatic and, and politically correct. And I think Rip is, is, is the complete opposite, but where they do, where they do agree on is kind of like match psychology and how wrestling is, is supposed to be uh, portrayed, you know, Rip's a little bit more old school and, you know, Lance is a little bit more on the new school side of things, you know, but uh, at the end of the day, they both understand where wrestling came from and, and what makes a good match and what makes a good wrestler. Well, my friend, it's just about time to uh, ring the bell on this edition of Wrestling Memories. Uh, what is coming up here for you, man? What do you got lined up as we're, we're moving on and moving upward uh, through the spring of 2018 and beyond? Uh, anything you'd like to uh, plug or, or get out here as far as uh, upcoming matches and the like? Uh, because, man, the floor is yours. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, just be on the lookout for me down in uh, WrestleCon and WrestleMania down in New Orleans. I think uh, that's my, probably the biggest announcement I have is that I will be down there. I'm I'm actually on a, I'm a surprise announce, unannounced match for a certain indie promotion. Um, so without giving any more details on that, just uh, look for me down in New Orleans. I'll have, I'll have my new T-shirt ready uh, for sale. I'm excited to finally debut my merchandise and just give people a taste of, of what Brian Pillman II has to offer. Social media, where can we find you, my man? Oh, yeah, hit me up for free, or hit me up and feel free. It's on uh, Flying Brian Jr. on Twitter, Flying Brian 41 That was my dad's old college football number. That's on Instagram, and uh, that's about all I use right now because Facebook, you know, you reach that limit, and it's it's hard to keep in touch with people on Facebook. It's a little, little overwhelming for me. So, so just follow me on Twitter and Instagram, and, and you'll be good to go. Brother, your tale, man, is a story of rising above and keeping on moving on, man. And I wish you nothing but continued success in the pro wrestling business. I mentioned it at the beginning of the hour. You seem such a trend, like, not unlike your father, an apt pupil to devour all things pro wrestling and put out some really good performances. I see nothing but upside for you in the future, man. I truly mean that. And I, I truly thank you for uh, taking time to tell your story about your life and your words. Thank you, brother. Thanks for uh, being patient. Let me get everything out 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 for you and show you what I'm all about. No problem. And uh, sometime down the line, once uh, you continue your education and keep that season and getting them matches in, my friend, you can come back in and we we could talk about any kind of wrestling, any kind of subjects. The floor will always be yours here at Wrestling Memories, man. Thank you, brother. Appreciate you. For Brian Pillman Jr., I'm Glenn Broggett. This yeah. is Wrestling Memories. <laughs>